Hello and welcome to this special edition Investec Energy podcast. Uh, we are joined by Callum McPherson, who is the Investec Head of Commodities and host of the weekly oil market podcast. And also Nathan Piper, who is Head of Oil and Gas Research to discuss the state of the energy markets. Um, so I'd like to kick off with oil. Um, can we start talking about the International Energy Agency report that was published yesterday? Callum, could you give a, a rundown on what it has to say about the outlook for supply and demand? Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, if, if we start with um, OPEC, um, the, the IEA estimated that OPEC output for the last month uh, was down about 360,000 barrels per day. Uh, and that was largely made up by um, the UEA cutting back it, its production, so that they had been accused of uh, not complying with their um, their, their quotas under the declaration of um, cooperation and and so they have uh, they've obviously adjusted their production accordingly so they came down that was slightly offset by an increase in <clears throat> in Libyan production um, but overall uh, OPEC production down, down a bit uh, and on top of that the IEA estimated that non-OPEC production uh, also declined so overall about 600,000 barrels per day lower um, that there were of course some disruptions over that over that the last month, uh, hurricanes in the US and and so on, and uh, and of course those figures don't really include the full extent of the sort of rather surprising uh, rate of recovery in in Libyan production. It, that there are um, expectations that uh, that uh, will will increase to maybe as much as six hundred thousand barrels per day in in the coming month. And so that's that's a little bit of a um, so that so that could offset this this fall we've we've seen um, that thus far. Um, however, th- these these are relatively small numbers compared to the pretty large deficit that we see bet- between or the IEA re- report implies there is between uh, supply and demand. Um, they estimated that Q3 demand what was uh, 93.6 million barrels per day so that's roughly seven percent lower than the, the kind of level of uh, demand we we had pre uh, coronavirus uh, so that sounds pretty dramatic and, and it is but on the other hand output was only around 91.3 million barrels per day so we have a, a deficit uh, uh, we had a deficit over the last quarter according to the IEA of around two and a half million barrels per day now in the current quarter, they they see um, or they they estimate that demand will will increase uh, to around 96 million barrels per day, um, and so the OPEC would need to produce about 28 nearly 20, 29 million barrels per day in order to to balance the market. But if if OPEC conti- continues at its current rate of production, uh, then the market would be oversupplied. The market would be oversupplied. Sorry, it would be undersupplied by about uh, four and a half million barrels per day. Um, now, of course, we need to factor in the possible increase in, in, in Libyan production, and and it, it may may be given the sorts of developments that we're seeing, particularly in Europe, with the uh, coronavirus and uh, lockdowns being reintroduced, um, that we don't see this this level of uh, demand growth uh, in, in the quarter. Um, but but even so. It, it still would seem hard to imagine that we won't have some sort of deficit over, over the current quarter. So, I th- so I, I think that uh, um, overall, the the IA's numbers do do point to the market being reasonably well reasonably well supported. Okay, and I'd like to 
player Nathan here. Have you got any sort of comments on this this current situation? I think the the helpful thing or the interesting thing from the IEA report really is around maybe the longer term demand. Uh, whilst the market is considering uh, demand reaching a, reaching a plateau and perhaps never really recovering to the 100 million barrels a day that was reached in 2019, IEA does point out that into the 2030s and indeed 2040s, they expect oil demand to continue to increase up to 110 million barrels a day by by 2040. So perhaps the the end of the oil at the end of the oil sector is perhaps somewhat overdone, uh, given some of these longer term numbers we've got from the the IEA yesterday. Okay, so moving on, Brent has traded around forty dollars per barrel since June. Nathan, are producers now adjusting to this level? Is it sustainable? I think it's still relatively low. I mean, it, it, thank goodness it's not where it was in, in April. Um, but $40 a barrel is not really how people make investment decisions or, or, or base um, their, their businesses around. And, and indeed, banks don't lend to uh, any of these companies on the basis that it'll be $40 forever. So I, I definitely think whether it's uh, investor interest or appetite for investing in new projects, the oil price needs to move up to $50 or, or more uh, to really reignite interest in the sector. I think what we expect to see, though, is, is as the uh, deficit that Cal's already talked about um, in, the, in the oil markets at the moment uh, works itself out and inventory levels come back down to the five-year average, we would expect the oil price to recover into the end of the year, start of next. And it's really those slightly improved prices that would start, uh, start off investment levels uh, again in the industry. And indeed, at $40 a barrel, um, you know, the, the other point to consider, I guess, are, are costs. Now, the oil sector has already been through a number of gyrations in the past couple of years, and really service companies haven't got an awful lot to give yet, uh, an awful lot, of, a lot to give, um, with uh, costs already at rock bottom. So really $40 a barrel keeps most people alive, uh, but it certainly isn't a, a backdrop in which they can invest. Yeah, and I, th- I think that the, the longer term perspective is in- interesting here as as well, because where whereas... Uh, the, the front contract has been sort of generating around around forty dollars per barrel. Um, if you look further down the curve, um, certainly a couple of months ago in August, for example, you, you would see the, the uh, Brent uh, D- December twenty twenty two contract trading at over fifty dollars per barrel. So we're the forward curve is telling us actually we it is possible to to, to uh, foresee this magic fifty number uh, on on the horizon. Um, but actually, the, the the back end of the curve has come down quite a bit. So that so the December uh, 22 contract has recently been trading as low as $45 per barrel, um, and 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 this um, this sort of period of softness that we we're obviously seeing in the in the in the front end of the curve is is starting to show up more in the in the longer end of the curve as well, and that that's sort of coming down a little bit and narrowing the spread to the front contract. Um, which is, uh, uh, you know, also to Nathan's point, this, is, this is, makes things, the outlook, pretty challenging for, for producers and uh, the decisions they're making for the future. Thanks, Callum. Um, um, oil has not been the only energy market experiencing low prices. Uh, UK gas prices reached their lowest level since the late 90s. Callum, why would you say this has happened and, and how is the gas market faring now? Well, I think the 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 challenges for the gas market, although they they reached their their height during the coronavirus and the disruption that led to in in 
in demand for gas. Um, but but really, the, the gas market has been struggling for um, somewhat li- longer than that. Um, really, if you look to last uh, summer, for example, prices were already um, pretty subdued, um, very much lower than, than uh, in Europe than people were used to d- dealing with. And really, the structural shift that's been underway in the gas market, the global gas market, we can we can now, st- I think, start to talk about, um, over, particularly over the last 12 months, has been liquefied natural gas, the ability to move large amounts of gas uh, reasonably efficiently around the world. Um, and p- perhaps the most significant, or one of the most significant developments particularly, has been the ability for the US to export gas. Um, for a long time, US gas has just been landlocked um, and the production of gas had increased. Uh, it, it's all part of the shale boom. Some of it has been um, it, um, uh, exploration to pr- specifically to produce gas. Sometimes it's been gas being produced alongside alongside crude oil. Um, but nevertheless, l- big expansion in gas output, uh, and that has now finally uh, d- discovered an outlet through. Um, through LNG, that has been coming across to, across to Europe, going to Asia and so on, and helping to bring down prices. So that that, that process had been underway anyway. Um, but obviously, when we got into COVID, combined with the lack of demand, um, that, that, that re- led to real problems in, in real problems for the gas market. And of course, gas do- doesn't have a doesn't have an OPEC to uh, to try and rebalance the market. So it's had to rebalance through market forces, and that's why we've seen we've seen the very low prices. Um, one of the interesting side effects, though, of the uh, fall in U.S. shale production, which is, uh, where, where oil is concerned, initially responding to oil, oil prices, um, has actually been reduced gas output as well, because the, the, the two, as I mentioned before, often um, occur together. Um, so there has been a big reduction in U.S. gas output. Um, that, that that has led to... Uh, to um, a, a reduction in the amount of gas flowing across to to, to, to Europe, and uh, consequently the gas market in, in in Europe, combined of course with demand recovering from COVID, has been able to rebalance a bit. So so prices have have recovered um, to to an extent, and of course now we're getting into the winter, uh, which makes prices higher anyway. But but the market is still relatively low compared to uh, where where we've where we have been used to seeing it in uh, winter periods recently. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on the the gas market at the moment? Yes, I think the other thing to consider is is storage. So particularly in Europe, uh, where before COVID and even before when the the LNG was dumped on the European market that Cam has talked about, uh, in Europe they were quite concerned about uh, an interruption of imports from Russia through Ukraine into into Europe uh, towards the end of last year. And in anticipation of that, they started increasing the storage levels. So actually, storage levels within Europe are at uh, at record highs, and um, that was set set the seeds for the the low gas prices that we've we've seen subsequently. Uh, of course, Russia and Ukraine uh, managed to reach a deal at the at the last minute so that to avert that uh, supply interruption. But you had that um, you know high level of storage in Europe. You had the LNG imports that Callum mentions further depressing prices to to the point where. I think uh, the UK gas price was at the lowest level since uh, trading in US and in UK gas prices had ever taken place. So there really was quite an alarming uh, drop in UK gas prices. 
But uh, thankfully, market forces that Canon talks about has pushed the price back up to a level which is pretty much in line with where the, where the forward curve is talking about. Uh, and for us, we, we look at Sarica Energy, which is almost a pure play on UK gas prices. Uh, and so it should, should certainly benefit companies like that that are producing uh, gas in the UK. Finally, I'd like to conclude by discussing what you both think might be the important trends uh, for the energy market over the next 12 months. Callum, will you guys go first? Uh, yes, I'll do my best. Um, obviously, the big uh, uncertainty is over, is over the, the virus. Um, you know, we, we mentioned the, the, the fact that, uh, that um, uh, the cases are growing again and lockdowns are, are, are occurring. So this, if uh, demand is a bit soggy over over the current quarter, then that might bring into question whether OPEC will be able to go ahead with its uh, planned increase of two million barrels per day um, uh, uh, in January, uh, as it's currently um, projected to do. But um, I I think looking slightly further ahead, the points that Nathan talked about with the the challenges for, for producers in actually fresh drilling and adding production or, repl- or even replacing production um, that, that, that decays is really could come home to roost. So I, I think actually, um, as we progress through through next year, um, we will start, to, we could well start to see some, some more challenges on the, on the supply side, um, particularly if demand does, uh, does, does recover strongly in the new year. Maybe a vaccine will be found. Who who knows? Um, and potentially, then we could see rather higher prices. And what about you, Nathan? Well, I think the interesting thing corporately has been uh, a bit closer to home. So, what we saw in the UK North Sea last week was a merger between a listed company and a private company. So, this is Premier Oil and, and Chris Oil. And I think that has been an interesting trend as private equity has bought up assets, particularly in the North Sea, over the past few years at a higher price. They're trying to figure out how to get a return on that investment. So one way is dividending out those uh, initial investments. Uh, but the second way is, is or unclassically, is through a, an IPO. Um, but the IPO market isn't there at the moment, particularly for EMPs given the depressed valuations. So that, maybe there's this third way where uh, getting access to a public listing through a merger um, taking on board some of the incumbents that are, are already on the stock exchange at depressed valuations, but using that as a route out of the investments the PE guys have made could well be an interesting development over the next 12 months. Um, and I think that Premier was the first, and there are other uh, heavily indebted companies with tax losses, which is the attraction there, um, that, that could also fit for other PE players. Uh, again, I'll mention Serica Energy, which is the kind of the, the antithesis. They've got a strong balance sheet and a solid asset base. And that could, could well be another vehicle for PE, private equity, to find a, a public listing. So, so I think overall, I, I agree with Callum. I think the prices are probably, particularly the oil price, that will, will continue to trend up as we work through the, the uh, inventories um, that have been generated from the demand drop-off earlier this year. But I think into a stronger oil price environment, uh, I would expect more corporate activity, whether that's asset deals or something as, as exciting as um, creating the largest North Sea producer on the UK stock exchange, which is what should be the, the outcome of the Chris Fayard Premier deal. Uh, it should be a, an interesting 12 months and hopefully one where investor interest increases uh, in EMPs and oil sector more generally. Lovely. Thank you very much. There's some interesting points to digest from uh, all across the 
this podcast. Um, but thank you both for joining and uh, thank you for listening as well.